people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. You are listening to No God. I am here as always with my mom and my dad, Tony and Sandy. How are you guys this day? Hello, Micah. I'm fine this day. Yep, doing great. Ready to do this podcast. <laughs> All right. So what is our topic for today, Dad? Well, the topic, the question that gets us started is, um, are science and faith in conflict and exclusive of each other? Some uh, variation of that question comes around okay. in many people's minds. And yes. so that's what we want to talk about. Science and faith, are they totally incompatible? What's the interface with them? And so that's what we want to talk about. Nice. So how do we start that? Well... Um, I want to mention the fact that Richard Dawkins, who is a well-known scientist and actually also a well-known atheist, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in an article that was written in Wired magazine by uh, a writer named Gary Wolf, Gary Wolf. So I'm quoting Gary Wolf's quote of Richard Dawkins, just so, so you know where I'm coming Gary from. quoting Gary Wolf, quoting Richard Dawkins. Yes. Okay. And so he's referencing the fact that in Dawkins 2, probably well, most well-known books, the, the Church of the Non-Believers, uh, excuse me, that's the name of the article. It's actually, his books are The Selfish Gene and The God Delusion. And this God Delusion, I think people maybe are maybe even more familiar with. I've definitely heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, Dawkins does not merely disagree with religious myths, what he calls religious myths, which Bible stories. He disagrees with tolerating them, with cooperating in their colonization of the brains of innocent tykes. That's a quote out of his book. Okay. Dawkins is openly agreeing with the most stubborn fundamentalist, Christian fundamentalist, that evolution must lead to atheism. And so you kind of see this gone laid down and you have the opposite happening in amongst Christian writers Mm -hmm. is that, well, if you do evolution, you're going to go away from faith in God. If you, and evolution is kind of funny because that's like, Lots of times when people say science, they think evolution, which evolution is like in, a, small. In a very small part of it, a very small aspect of it. And so there are the biblical statements also that talk about the denial of the existence of God kind of leads to an end of morality. Uh, Romans chapter one kind of implies that. Um, and it, and there is no ethic of goodness. A lot of ph- Christian philosophers have said that through the centuries. That without an ultimate supreme being, you have no basis of uh, an ethical value that is that is universal to everybody, mm-hmm. and that's actually the the moral argument for the existence of God is that if there is no God, there is no reason to be good. Okay. So those are all things that like we're not debating whether these statements are true all the way from Dawkins that evolution necessarily leads to atheism or the other side of it. We just kind of want to lay where I think this churns in the lives of people around us. And so then it almost becomes in, in polite society, you don't bring up certain topics in science or at least science in a very, maybe specific things about science you don't talk about, except that in social media, all is fair, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, that be, and mm-hmm. it gets where people get really annoyed and they get hurt. And they get defensive and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's why we could talk about this. So we're not going to, I mean, obviously there's tons of details that could be covered, but we want to just focus on kind of a big picture about human relationships on this topic of, 
of uh, science and faith right. and how we live with each other in a pluralistic society and then also even how uh, believers in Christ um, function together in unity even though they may be disagreed about certain aspects of how this, uh, how the Bible teaches about this stuff. Right. So, so more of a high view without getting into the weeds. Right. I mean, it, we may fall into the weeds occasionally, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we want to do. Um, and so I thought, here, let's let's start with definitions. Okay. So definition of science. And, you know, there's tons of them out there. But I thought, well, let's go with Merriam-Webster. And so I checked Merriam-Webster. Uh, science is knowledge or a system of knowledge covering general truths or the operation of general laws, natural laws, especially as obtained and tested through scientific method, which okay. we've, got, we've got to figure out. So. What is scientific method? Uh-huh. Because in order to do that, and so then Merriam-Webster, as well as Wikipedia, have a couple of helpful definitions about scientific method. Scientific method is principles and procedures for the systematic pursuit of knowledge involving the recognition and formulation of a problem. So mm-hmm. define a problem, the collection of data mm-hmm. through observation and experiment, and the formulation and testing of hypothesis. The next hypothesis that comes from that. And then people are going to go, oh, yeah, it does sound like science class to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, Wikipedia has, I think, maybe even a more key component in their definition and actually a little briefer. Uh, scientific research involves using the scientific method, which seeks to objectively explain the events of nature in a reproducible way. Right. I think that's what I've heard with you know scientific process is... The main point of it is that it is then predictive. If your results can then be used to predict what might happen naturally, then you have found something that actually works. Right. Is that what the reproducible way means? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. You can predict it, and then you did it in your lab, and any other number of people could reproduce the same thing in their labs. Yeah, just like gravity, like <laughs> uh, the, it being... Through the scientific process, you can find the numbers that predict, like if I was to drop this nice OU mug, which I won't because it's very nice and I don't want to break it. If I was to drop it, it could tell you exactly how quickly it would, it would fall. Right. And then if you can then use those numbers to measure and predict, okay, if you held it at this high, it's going to fall this fast. And then it does, then you have reproduced it. Reproduce it. Yeah, I get it. So there are a lot of disciplines of science, and I think that's where people... Those were weeds. Yeah. No, that's helpful. That's actually helpful to kind of get perspective. The The term science is extremely general. Right. Extremely general. And I think that a lot of people have a handful of the specific uh, presentations of science in their mind when they say science, and it varies from person to person, you know, because like, uh, you know, medical research, well, that's science. Okay. But you know... The internet is not science, <laughs> yeah. Because the internet is an app is a scientific application or application of scientific work, right? That then becomes usable by people. And the person who is using the internet does not have to understand how it works. And actually, they don't even have to believe in the processes of how the engineers and the right. scientists came up with how that works for them. All I want is I want when I touch my screen, it works. Right. They don't okay. care about the science behind it, which I think <laughs> is part of the emotional and intellectual disconnect with this, is that people like the products that they get because of scientific research, but then they can get really defensive 
about what the scientist believes. Because think about it, if you just apply this way that we do some of the things in our culture. Well, if, if a scientist who developed, uh, of course, it's not, not just one scientist, but for sake of argument, let's say it was one scientist who developed one of the COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. Well, if that scientist holds a view that I disagree with, well, then I can't use these vaccines. Uh, okay. That is the culture that we live in. Right. I can't vote for a politician who has 99 things that I like, but one thing that I disagree with. And so we take the same attitude towards science. And I guess this podcast, if nothing else, needs to help us to realize where we are with that personally. And what do I, how do I actually live my life um, appreciating and respecting the people who do scientific research or who developed products yeah. that um, I benefit from? This might get you completely off topic. So thinking of like the scientific process, is is there anything in the Bible that kind of reflects that thinking? I think so. We're going to get to that in just okay. a moment. All right. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But let's just do a quick touch base with where we've come from historically. Right. Okay. Because the, sci- the, the era of modern science is is measured in that it got kicked off during the Enlightenment, which is a European kind of movement, but also impacted America very much. So Western culture uh, from the 17th and 18th centuries, 1600s, 1700s. And you think about that little stretch of time is also when America became a country. Okay. Okay. So in that same span of history is the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is epitomized by an emphasis on reason Mm-hmm. rational thinking, and individualism rather than tradition. tradition. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which does reflect with the founding fathers and coming up with the system of government and stuff like right. that. That's all right in there. Right. And so a John Locke, for example, which we've referenced him in some of our conversations mm-hmm. about theology, he had tremendous influence in American theology, in American political science, and he also, besides being a philosopher then, he also was considered a scientist in his day okay. as well. So, the Enlightenment then brought leading scientific thinkers to the foreground and inventors. And so I just want, I'm going to mention these names because there are hundreds that could be mentioned. And just like now, thousands and tens of thousands, all that who've developed things, but names that you will, somebody will recognize at least one of these names, hopefully. Isaac Newton, mm-hmm. who developed calculus, and all those seniors in high school must love him. Um, the uh, the d- dynamics of gravity, the mm-hmm. law of like gravity. Like I mentioned. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's Isaac Newton. Foreshadowing. Then you have Robert Boyle, who is the one that figured out the periodic table for chemistry. Um. Oh, wow. And so... As part of science is, and it's alluded to, but not stated specifically, is the ability to classify information so that it is referenceable and can then be used across in a creative way into another discipline. Okay. So that's Robert Boyle. Blaise Pascal. Triangles. Triangles and barometer. Uh He created the first barometer. Michael Faraday, which I think he ends up in some of the fiction movies. Because he does Faraday cages. Faraday cages, electromagnetics, mm-hmm. the electric generator, that's Faraday. And then you have Johann Kepler. I recognize that name. Physical astronomy. Ah. 
there's like a Kepler, is there like a satellite or, or a something yeah, named right. after him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the way we are about scientists. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Google Kepler, and then you're going to come up with a number of things. So I mentioned those names, Newton, Boyle, Pascal, Faraday, and Kepler, because they all also espoused belief in Christ. Uh. In their own ways. Some people nowadays may consider that they aren't like pure orthodox, but they believed in a in the deity and they also were involved in church. Okay. They had their connection to their church. Now, some of them were wow. Roman Catholic, some of them were Protestant. Wow. I did not know that. I didn't yeah. know that either. And that's just a short list. There are, there are many. So it's like, so let's just go back to the beginning of the Enlightenment and some key leaders in, uh, key thinkers in the Enlightenment. They did not come to a point where they believed that their belief in deity and the belief in Jesus Christ as a deity that came to earth mm-hmm. disqualified, uh, it was disqualified by their scientific research. Right. They didn't have to leave that behind to, to, right. to pursue the enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not that they knew what it was going to be called at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so their attitude toward God and scripture led to a phrase and... I've heard this attributed to different ones in the Enlightenment, but I really can't find out who actually said it. So it's like one of those almost like proverbial things. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if it's more of a term that historians came up with that then backwards put back on these guys. Right. So I don't know if this is, I don't know this quote, but it is one that I've heard frequently. And that is that those Enlightenment thinkers, those Christian Enlightenment thinkers, considered that what they were doing with science was thinking God's thoughts after him. Mm-hmm. So they, there was at least one or more of them that looked at it as scientific research was actually just exploring God's thoughts in right. the design of creation. And you can actually make a case on this, like Proverbs chapter 8, where it talks about wisdom. Mm-hmm. But it tells us it personifies wisdom in Proverbs. And wisdom then is at the beginning. It is the design factor of the creation. Yeah. So this goes to um, intelligent design. Yeah. So in a way, like, you know, our podcast, Know God, is a lot of it we focus on knowing um, his his spirit, knowing his essence, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So science is could be looked at as getting to know God's creation. Right. And by knowing God's creation, you see more of, and I, again, in human terms, see God's mind, God's ability to design something. Right. And to then bring it forward. But, yeah, you're right. So that's science. There were scientists. And we're not going to say all scientists of the Enlightenment because there were atheistic scientists. Mm -hmm. But there were scientists who were believers. And they saw it as exploring the, the, the material creation. And part of the, they didn't necessarily, they weren't doing it necessarily to know God better. Right. But they did come to know God better in their own convictions and understanding. They had an experience with God through their scientific work. So again, we're talking kind of big overview picture here. So, you know, 300 years later, since the beginnings of the Enlightenment, we have drawn, some people like to draw battle lines, both on the atheistic side and on the deistic side or on the Christian side. Right. Yeah. And Definitely. it's interesting because we live in a time when one of the buzzwords politically and one of the buzzwords in research and stuff and stuff is uh, 
is that we want to avoid binary statements. Right. That is plus minus, yes, no, which is funny because all computers, computers work on binary. binary. <laughs> I just find that a little bit ironic or whatever. <laughs> but if we want to just apply that concept here, let's talk about science um, in a little more of a spectrum term. Okay. So Psalm 19.1 is, is, is an example that is stated many, many different ways in the Bible. But uh, 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's why we can think about, of course, we think astronomy at that point. Right. But God's creation reflects his glory for those that believe in deity and also accept the deity. And of course, yeah, we won't get into all of that yeah. at this point. So there's some details of scientific approach. I just want to give a quick introductory to that because science is observable, testable, repeatable and falsifiable. Mm -hmm. Now, there is no like, nobody set forward at the beginning of the Enlightenment and said, here is scientific method. This is, these are words that have come to settle into what uh, in the scientific community are like core values. You want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. They're core values. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to observe it, which means what? Well, technically, science is empirical. And for, you know, that's a philosophical term for things that we can know through the five senses. Right. Oh, I didn't know that's what that meant. Yeah. Empirical is five senses. And so science is based in the five senses of human beings. And then, by extension, the inventions of human beings right. that expand. For example, we can only see a certain amount of the light spectrum. Right. But we, but uh, human beings have developed instruments that go infrared and ultraviolet, which means they're actually light energies that yeah. we cannot see with our eyes. Yeah. There are little mm -hmm. things like microscopes, electron microscopes that yes. can get smaller and smaller. Yep. And then the telescopes. That can get bigger right. and bigger. Right. And so hmm. when you talk about empiricism, you have to be, you have to add that caveat technically because when they first came up with empiricism, they didn't have a lot of instruments right. to do that. So they were thinking in terms of if you can't observe it as a human being, then we can't be sure that it's there. And again, just to add a little sidebar that we're not going to go down, but just to kind of like put it in a cubbyhole over there. Philosophically, there are people who hold that. How do we know that empiricism, our five senses, are the only ways to know reality? And that goes into the whole philosophy, which maybe we'll do a podcast on that eventually. Who knows? Maybe we will. <laughs> Mom's expression says, no. <laughs> you have to remember, I never had a good science class in my whole life. So this is like, ah. So it's grounded in empiricism. Um, it's stimulated by the rise of experimental science because every experiment adds a new theory that then gets tested and more information gets discovered. And so then mm -hmm. you have this explosion. And then when you add explosion of knowledge, and then when you add the ability to store that knowledge and the ability to share that information, now let's jump ahead to this moment, through digital storage on the internet, yeah. all of a sudden science is mushrooming in its application and also in exploring more empirical data that is empirical plus technological. So a, a, a little bit, it's like baking, where let's say we're trying to make the Bacon. perfect... Bacon? Oh, baking. baking. <laughs> I 
thought it was bacon. I thought it was the, Like, bacon. if you want to make a really good cake, way back, you only had your family recipes or books that you could get. But those were all made using an experiment to see... I mean, a cake had to be invented at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Or it's turning into pudding or whatever. So you get that. But now you can get tips from everyone across the entire world from all the experiments. But. Right. It's a, it's, it's, it's a source. Baking is a kind of science, I guess. I never really thought of it like that. But. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's an empirical exploration. Like if I put these ingredients in. That's your theory. Order. That's your, that's your premise. Yeah. And then cook it at, or heat it up at this temperature this will happen right well that's what you're doing all the time experimenting making new <laughs> recipes mm-hmm. <laughs> my latest cookies did not work out they kind of turned into biscuits <laughs> so this experimental science because somebody had to i mean leonardo da vinci who precedes mm-hmm. or galileo precedes um the enlightenment mm-hmm. right Yes, get my get my timelines right here. Right, right. Well, and Leonardo da Vinci would too, because that was the Renaissance. Right, but then you have uh, those philosophers, scientists, John Locke, that I mentioned already, George yep. Berkeley, and David Hume. That actually, all three of those are known more for their philosophy. Right, but they also were experimental scientists, and those individuals espoused and developed kind of the philosophical framework for experimental science. And they are the ones that kind of like uh, popularized and drew people. That's like then kids, boys in that kind of world, patriarchal world, were drawn toward experimental science as, oh, this is something I would, I, you can actually do right. for life. Right. So that's the growth of it. The basic scientific approach, if you, from your elementary science class, mm-hmm. and that. That is one of the things that, uh, and this is just Tony on a soapbox for a moment, if you don't mind. <laughs> I think it's sad, and I understand why it happens, but I, but it's really sad that science for schools, elementary, middle school, high school in the United States, tend to focus on vocabulary uh. that you have to master and concepts that are tied together in vocabulary rather than actual experimental science. Because experimental science for the classroom is expensive, time-consuming, and drives many teachers crazy. (laughs) It's messy. It's messy. It's messy, yeah. But that is actual science. Right. Now, I've done substitute teaching, and I do have done tutoring, and I tell these poor kids, you know what, this is, if you learn this vocabulary, it helps you to be able to do science better. And a handful of them believe me, and others just go, whatever, Mr. Kafka, I can't learn all those words. And it is tough. And so science is not strictly only the vocabulary. Vocabulary is how we communicate about what we've observed. Right. But science is the experimentation. So I would just encourage parents, figure out, do science experiments, do do activities with your kids, science experiments, and Make it to where they theorize about stuff and they try it out. Yeah. Which for our family, we were homeschooled in grade school and mom didn't do the science classes. Dad did the science classes. And now I'm understanding why (laughs) science classes were the way they were for us. But yeah, that's what we did. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I specifically remember, like we always wanted to do the fun parts, but dad would make us stop. Okay, now you have to predict what's going to happen. 
<laughs> right. It's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> it rarely exploded. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion then involves that this is what we observed, and the, but that's kind of more the results. The conclusion then is, and so what can we, what can we theorize about other possibilities from this result? And that's where science moves forward. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that's where life moves forward. Even spiritual life moves forward by observing. This is we call it, we call it journaling or we call it inventorying or we call yeah. it you know meditation. And so this is think about parallels in science and parallels in, in spiritual growth. And it is like, well, I that's dumb. I keep doing the same thing and getting a negative result. I need to come up with a different yeah. proposal yeah. Mm-hmm. for my life. Huh. Well, yeah, because the, 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 this process in other ways is used in non-scientific methods of like like a parenting book. These are ingredients that might help you with your parenting that right. have been tried and predict these results. Yes. <laughs> but if you just go, oh, okay, I'm going to go step, 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 <laughs> and do exactly what they say well, in this book, it could not work for your family. <laughs> Well, and part of that is, you think about your basic experiments, like sodium, mm-hmm. pure sodium, which is a cakey kind of stuff. If you throw that in water... It blows up! H2O, hydrogen and oxygen, because sodium is an element, mm-hmm. it has a little explosion, depends on how much stuff you threw in it. It explodes. It explodes. If the sodium has calcium with it, mm-hmm. we call that table salt. Oh, that doesn't explode. And it doesn't explode. And so parenting advice is assuming that your elements are exactly pure and the same as mine. And so when I give you advice, I have these ingredients and we say that you've got the (laughs) same ingredients, but you actually don't. But my kid had table salt and your kid is just pure sodium. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So. Wow. I I guess I'm encouraging believers who are listening who kind of like poo-hoo scientific method it's like you know what we all could benefit mm-hmm. from using scientific method in our everyday life right and the truth is that when we think science we think chemistry we think biology we think maybe anatomy and mm-hmm. we think maybe you know but science is not limited to those things science is also psychology and sociology and the truth is that psychology and sociology had a hard time breaking into the accepted scientific right fields because they were considered and some people still consider them soft sciences they're a little messy that's because you can't you can't purify out in social and psychological experiments it is tougher to separate out the possible um things that are going to detract from your experiment because in chemistry you can purify sodium Mm -hmm. and then work with sodium experiments but in human experience, you can't go, well, let's take this kid who is being raised by two parents and let's measure everything about that kid and this will give us good parenting or bad parenting. Well, the problem is there's too many variables right. in there. So what's at stake in all of this? Well, so there. first of all, I just kind of want to point out that, and back to Mike's question a little while ago, is that some of the processes of scientific experimentation and method. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for example, observation. Do we find that the Bible ever tells us to observe something? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> example? Um, you know, 
there's some verse about looking to the heavens and mm-hmm. something. How, how yep. does that go? I can't right. remember the whole thing. And but. looking to the ant. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, as sluggard. A, <laughs> as a model. And so you get your mind thinking, observation. Is that a biblical principle? Yes. yes. Next, classification. Classification is putting things together that help us to use them better in the future. Oh, Adam named the animals. Adam named the animals. And we thought it was, I can't remember his first name, but Linnaeus, who created the animal classification system. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like said, yeah, a long time later. But Adam did that. He named, so classification, the Bible has that. Inferring, so general assumptions about the data. Okay. Do we Are we ever told to process knowledge to gain something else? Well, there's places where it says consider, da 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 da, da. Yeah. So that, isn't that what that is? Yeah. So predicting. I'm not sure about that one. Well, yeah. I'm guessing there's a yes, but I can't think of it. Yeah, example. and I don't have it in front of me. Oh, no. No, I don't have it in front of me. I mean, I can think of things like, um, yeah, predicting. Well, predicting you plant seeds, you predict what you're going to get. Mm. One, 30-fold, 100-fold. I mean, even though that's a parable, right? it's predicting. Okay. Measuring. Measuring, yes. There's measures <laughs> in the Bible. There's a book called Numbers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, don't try Which that one. Which would also your be a classification, by the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. Communicating. Oh, oh, oh well. predicting. Predicting. There's the mildew chapter. In Numbers, I think, Numbers, yeah. or Deuteronomy, where it tells you what you have to do to, to get rid of that, that, that. If you do this process, you will get rid of mildew. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. Communicating, yes. The Bible is communication. So we got that. Interpreting data that we have come up with based on the information from all the previous things. So mm-hmm. are we to consider consider all of the wellsprings of life? Right. All the things that are coming at you, which would help a lot of people nowadays, instead of just like, Getting zinged in on, well, it worked this way one time, so it's got to work this way all the time, and it doesn't, and right. they can't figure out why, So they, because they haven't taken in all the data around them. Um, making operational definitions. Yeah. yeah. Coming up with new words to describe something specifically so it can be communicated better to someone else. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, formulating questions and hypotheses. Hypotheses. Maybe? Yeah. I don't, like I say, I don't have these in front of me. You're, you're wanting us to come up with them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the person listening can also just say, okay, so this is, yeah. these are the methods of science. Uh, experimenting and then observing with your senses. I can't think of anything on the top of my head. If anyone thinks of anything for these, please let us know. Yeah. And then formulating models to do more work in the future. Yeah. So this is reasoning, rash, I mean, this is the rational... So again, I just want to make sure that as we before we leave this definition about science and stuff, is that something that is science that people don't call science is mathematics. Oh yeah. Technically, mathematics is science because science is a rational approach. It's an observational approach, and it's repeatable. So, like two plus two equals four mm-hmm. is repeatable, and you can right. observe it. Yes. Yeah. You can observe it. We can maybe have a podcast on mathematics. I don't know. I don't want one. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, you do want one. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I I liked math. I didn't like science. <laughs> so anyway, because really, it's like it. So I, I'm I'm trying to process this in my head as well. Because um, the the bottom line is, so science is 
in a way, just the pursuit of truth. It's trying yes. to find out what's true about what we can observe. Yes. And if that is true, then at the center of truth is God, because that's where truth comes from. So then science is a pursuit of God through a different direction than what we're pursuing with the you know, usual no-God topics we do. Right, because our usual no-God topics are about we are, we are processing what we understand, what we accept by faith as a revelation, communicated revelation from God that's written down in the Bible and then translated. Mm-hmm. But we always but look what, at science. A lot of people look at science as it's to proving that. Right. There's no God proving that it doesn't. There's not right. that. And we look at then the created realm, universe, mm-hmm. the material universe, as something that declares the glory of God. It is uh, not word communication. It is visual, not just visual, audio, you know, tactile communication about who God is too. But that's how believers in deity and believers in the Christian deity because of the revelation that comes through the Bible, which is actually back is actually given to us through prophets. Mm-hmm. And so when people talk about, well, if the Bible says it, and really it's more the prophet that wrote it that actually matters more to us about a source of truth, because right. where did that prophet get that truth? And we accept that prophet's word and their culture's word about that prophet, Mm -hmm. that this was a reliable messenger. And of course, uh, it's the book of Leviticus that gives the standard that God has, which is if a prophet says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, he's a false prophet. Right. And I always, that's what I always say to people when they talk about people who make all these predictions, I always go, so have they been wrong on anything? Okay. So then they're, they're not a prophet. Let's just make sure we know that they might be, they might be trying to postulate stuff on a scientific method, but they're not a prophet. Right. And there's that is part of the problem is there. But mm-hmm. let's move forward because we kind of want to get to what this all matters to people's lives. And I just want to throw a whole maybe new word out to people. Oh, no. But really, this, what comes to stake in this, what's encompassed in this science and faith tension is fundamentally a tension that comes down to one word. Cosmology. Now, not cosmetology. There we go. <laughs> not cosmetology. It's cosmology. <laughs> and if okay. people are going, oh my gosh, I'm 10 minutes from my workplace. And now he's talking about cosmo- cosmology. Oh, what is he doing? <laughs> Cosmos. Cosmos is a Greek word for world. Ooh, that's a show. Uh-huh. And logos, logia. We understand it as a study of. So it's study a study of, of world. world, but not just the world as in Earth, but material universe. Uh. And more specifically, it's concerned, it's considered by most, but I would just say most, that it's a branch of astronomy. But technically, it's not because it is the inter- intersection of the study of the physical universe, which we think of astronomy, philosophy, and theology as it relates to origins. Um, Cosmology is about origins. Interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't either. How things began. You guys didn't take basic philosophy? (laughs) No. (laughs) My highest science was biology one. There we go. (laughs) And it wasn't very... And life. 
and life. There you go. That's right. And my brother's preaching to me about science. Mm -hmm. So because of the shared scope with philosophy, theology, what we call science, Mm -hmm. it is the battleground. Right. And so I think it would be helpful if people just in their own minds realize when we talk about a battle between science and faith, really we're talking about the intersection of philosophy, science, theology, faith, the intersection of, of what matters yeah. and how we know where, th- what things, where things came from. Because by implication, if we know where they came from, we might, depends on your view, we might understand purpose. Right. So, in a way, it's a, you know calling it a battleground does then put it at odds, right? But it's more of a mutual struggle for finding the origins and finding truth, right? And if we're all struggling towards the same goal, maybe we take different paths to get there, but it could lead us to the same place, right? And science. So I think I mean so what I think of when you say that is that for the, the theist, the mm-hmm. person who believes in God, and I'm not even talking about just Christian theism, right. but even uh, Islam and Judaism are basically the, the great three theistic religion, world religions. There are others, but those are the big categories. Um, and so their origin story comes through the prophets. Right. Well, in empirical science... You can go, that's great. I'm glad you believe in those prophets, but I can't use that information to come up with science because it's not empirical. Okay. So you end up with, for example, the the cosmological statement in the Bible, the first one is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. That is a cosmological statement. It is, this is the origin explanation Uh for people of faith. And that would be all three of the theistic world religions. Mm -hmm. For the atheist, the person that, or agnostic, the person that doesn't believe you can know whether or not there's a spirit being. That is great... They have different attitudes about it. We, we read yep, earlier, yep. Rich and Dawkins said, it's, it's horrible. It's toxic. Mm-hmm. Don't believe in God. It's toxic. And don't teach it to your kids. Yeah, don't teach it to your poor, vulnerable kids because it's toxic. That's him on that far side right. of that spectrum. And for Christians, they would say it's fundamental that you don't even know why you're here on this earth. You don't even know why the why of your existence without belief in God. Mm-hmm. So we see the tension. And, and this podcast is not going to solve that tension. But I feel like that this po- in the podcast, we want to help people to understand why there is this tension amongst people. So the cosmology addresses questions about what origins and by implication, what is eternal. Mm-hmm. Possibilities. Spirit only is eternal. So that's, that's the Orthodox Christian, Jude- uh, Jewish, and Islamic view. Right. That only spirit is eternal because spirit created the material. So material by the sense that it's created is not eternal by definition. If something has a beginning, it's not eternal. Right, okay. Even if it lasts forever, that doesn't make it eternal. If it has a beginning, it's not eternal by nature. So then there's also then 
material only is eternal. That's the naturalistic explanation, and that would be what uh, is is uh, em embraced by many people. But again, science science would be the notable community that embraces that as the only thing that is eternal, although I know there are theories about that. Otherwise, I'm going to leave that alone. <clears throat> then there is the concept of spirit and material. Both are co-eternal. That's your, again, oversimplification, uh -huh. Eastern religions. Buddhism, uh, Confucianism, that, and I know there are tons of variations in that, but the yin and the yang, mm -hmm. that is the two things that need to be brought into harmony, and it is spirit and material. Okay. And even Greek Gnosticism, pre-first century, and I mean, it even is part of the church history, is that there is this dynamic of spirit and material are in, incompatible, or maybe you can bring them into compatibility or mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, it's all kinds of views. And then there is... <laughs> the expression I'm on yeah. the face. Well, yeah. because when people think cosmology, which is a new word for them, they have to think about what's, what does this mean? Well, it means you're defining what is eternal. And if it's eternal, then we know that it is reality. Mm -hmm. Right. The la the, uh, there's two more. Okay. One is material first, which then spirit evolved from. Okay. I don't think I've heard that one before. Yeah. And then there is nothing is eternal because it is spontaneously came into existence. Right. Okay. So anything that has a beginning can't be eternal. So the assumption is that what we experience now and what we call reality, because everybody, because Americans are pragmatists mm -hmm. and realists, but pragmatists, first of all, pragma, pragmatism is show me what works right. and I'll do it. Okay. That's pragmatism. It's a philosophical approach to life. Um, and so in this, what we call reality is, well, it's real, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I call it reality, it's real. <laughs> but there's a body of thought that all our all of our experiences, you're going to love this. I don't know. Depending on if you're a theist or not. And I'm just doing this just to tease people, okay? <laughs> that actually none of this is real. Ooh. We are actually just... A simulation. Well, not a simulation, but we are the imagination, imagination. of either a deity... Or of an AI. Ah, I thought you were going to get into the life is a simulation, you know, Matrix thing. <laughs> that too. And you know what? Matrix is a philosophical movie. Oh, And yeah. it's about cosmology. Mm -hmm. And so when you look, you know, and even like all the superhero stories and stuff like that, they have a cosmology behind them. Anyway, so what's really at stake here? <laughs> I have no idea. No. Okay, one here is purpose. Mm -hmm. Purpose in life. Your cosmology impacts your purpose. Mm -hmm. And I remember as I did a little study about three years ago when Stephen Hawking died, great, mm -hmm. great atheistic physicist, well-known, came up with the theory of black holes. Right. And actually did a mathematical demonstration of the probability that they exist. Right. Even though they had never been observed. So empirically, they had never been observed. But we call black hole science, even though empirically still trying to find them with astro astronomical instruments. Right. But there's not an actual empirical proof yet. I mean, I, I read some articles recently that kind of like, some people are thinking, I mean, there's some scientists are claiming that maybe that is actually what that is right there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, still there. 
Okay. And so uh, Stephen Hawking's basically said he found his purpose in not wasting his time with myths, that is, right. belief in God, but rather in doing something that helps the future of mankind, which I'm not even going to go there right now. Okay. So another podcast. I, I'm, I'm thinking that we can do this. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the purpose is that what we look at creation, we can see what what is known about God is plain. <laughs> and this is the kind of the judgment statement coming out of the Apostle Paul's writings. It is, he's saying, you know, if you look around you, you just go, so, you have to come to the conclusion that there's a God. But we know plenty of people who do tons of observation of material universe and they don't believe in God. Right. Right. So that's the, that's one of the tensions for Christians. And Christians have, you know, a struggle with this passage in the sense that they want to tell that person that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. We can do that. We just get so whatever, intolerant about it. And, and you know. And we have a uh, podcast on in tolerance. Right. And consideration, being considerate, yep. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, God's invisible qualities can be known. His, empower, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. This is the Apostle Paul's words. So that's there for us. Next, we've talked in podcasts recently about what's at stake is whether or not we can know God. Because if what's observable should lead us to be at least reinforced in our belief in God, then we have Hebrews eleven six, which tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to come in relationship with Him because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, right, and that He rewards or reciprocates those who earnestly seek Him. Those who earnestly seek Him, and so for the believers, we feel like. We understand what's at stake here, and all of the non-believers, we, if we love them, we're concerned about them, and so we want to communicate to them, well, you've got to believe that God exists. And they go, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. And that, that maybe makes us feel insecure, or I believe should actually make us have more compassion, but realizing that we have to be able to communicate in the language of people in that way. Right, yeah. and getting mad and arguing about it right. does not help that. Right. And so to pause there then, what's at stake is cosmology is about origins and we need to be able to help people be honest. And I'm talking about whether they're believers or not believers and talk about that science, the fi- empirical science. Mm-hmm. And I'm just emphasizing the word empirical. You cannot prove that there's a God. And also, you cannot prove a different origin story that excludes God. Right. You can only theorize about it. And what's happened is that people of faith who believe in God say, it's clear. You look at the universe and it's clear. It tells us in Romans 1 Mm -hmm. that everybody can see that there is this glory, glorious deity. Mm Mm-hmm. But not everybody sees it. And so we get really upset about that. And those that are not believers and say, that is ridiculous. There is no way that you can empirically, scientifically prove that. I am a rationalist only. Mm -hmm. Except that everybody, before they can go to bed at night, have to go, well, if I have to decide what my origin that I believe in is, it's this. Because the sense of purpose and value comes down to you can't live with a uncertainty about origins very long. Everybody has to eventually come to, well, if you really push me on it, this is what I this is what I think. 
Hmm. Third thing that I think is at stake here is unity of believers. And that comes into areas that are considered science, but they are actually cosmology. And that is, just take, for example, four prevailing theories about Genesis 1. Okay. And that is that the days are six hour, six 24-hour days. That's creationism. That's a young earth creationism, mm-hmm. typically. It doesn't have to be, but it typically is. There's the day-age old earth theory, which means the days actually mean ages rather than 24-hour days. Mm-hmm. And then there is the literary framework of this is just a story. Right. I mean, it's it, but it's a, it's not designed to be a report of a scientific experiment, step one, step two, step three, sequentially and classified and all this kind of stuff, and it's all laid out textbook. Right. It still could be considered valid. I mean, it's considered valid truth, but it's a framework, not a timeline. Okay. That and typically that's an older view billions or million, billions of years. And then you have the literary, and these are believers, literary myth, that is, it's a poem designed to teach purpose. Tell a truth and teach something. Yeah. But it's it, a parable. Parable and even more, it's a chiastic poem, which right. is a designed poem. It's like haiku for, mm, yeah. I remember studying haiku when I was in elementary school, where it has to have these certain things about it to be yeah. haiku. Well, so... That poem fit, or the Genesis 1 fits that style of poetry. And so there is a group of Christians that see that as, you know, myth sounds, it's a a buzzword, so it it doesn't sound good. But it's a literary, um, it's it's a literary form that tells us about our origins and our purpose. Right. Now, you just take those, because now, now we're narrowing it down to just believers. Yeah, just believers, but that's four different... And within things that we, that believers feel like Genesis 1 is either science or it's not, and if it's not science, you're not a believer. There's right. that from category 1, and then all the way down to category 4. This is a poetic style, and if you take it as a scientific classification, then you're just being foolish. And then Christians really get at odds with each other. And they literally will call each other not believers right. in this. Now, I'm not saying that I, I'm not the authority on this. I Ultimately, since I believe in God, God is the ultimate judge on this yeah. about what this is. But if we don't accept the possibility that I'm wrong, then how can I even begin to respect the person that has a different view? And that goes all the way from within the believer community and then within the believer to non-believer community of the world. So I feel like that. Those are the things that are really at stake. And for us as believers, we see things like Ecclesiastes 12, 13, which says, now everything's been heard. And you're going, yes, it's almost the end of the podcast, so hopefully everything has been heard. (laughs) Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, for the believer, that makes sense. That gives me purpose, and it gives me something, marching orders for the day. Mm-hmm. Well, we know what his two commandments are right. for Christians. Yeah. Love God with everything in you and love others as yeah. you love yourself. Right. And so when we, I feel like when we get all argumentative and putting people down and calling people, you know, names, jumping to that kind of thing, that then we're, we're, all, we're wrong. We're off. It doesn't matter if we believe the right, you know, what's the right thing to believe. If we're treating people 
unloving in what we say and do, then we're wrong. Right, because faith... That was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say? It's faith being expressed in, in love. love. And so my belief expressed in love. That's for the Christ follower. That's important. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Glad that we were able to talk about this. I think that this gives us a reference point for yeah. future conversations about various topics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And thanks mm-hmm. for that great insight, Mom. <laughs> Are you saying that because I haven't said much right now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. Well, thanks for taking this journey with us. A little bit of a denser episode, but we've got some yeah. other great topics coming up. And we have another big thing coming up on the horizon. Dad, do you want to mention it at all? We do. We are expanding um, the resources and our opportunities to share with people on the web. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be adding to our, our website a link to the Patreon website system. And that website is TonyKafka.com. Yeah, TonyKafka.com. You'll be able to go to that when we get it live, and we'll be letting people know about that. And that gives uh, us the opportunity to communicate more. It also gives opportunity for people to come on alongside of us and provide finances if they want to, mm-hmm. uh, as a way to help us to be able to devote more time to creating more resources like these podcasts, all the way from print resources, uh, lesson resources, and even community experiences where we are, are uh, putting together some plans to where, uh, we can at least have like, um, dedicated chat spaces like instead of using facebook to communicate Mm -hmm. to each other or even i'm not going to give you my my cell phone number but (laughs) you can can come into a text thread with with different people including sandy and i and micah and just ask questions or make comments and just get to know us better too and so we're looking forward to that uh, in the future and we will announce that date but Mm -hmm. it's coming soon very very soon so we have a lot of exciting things coming up and we will explain all that again more in the in the future but thanks for joining us on this talk and uh, we will see you next time or not see you we will talk at you next time (laughs) (laughs) if you have any questions just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com that's k-n-o-w-g-o-d at t-o-n-y-k-a-f-k-a dot com